Hello and welcome to the Hurley Edition, episode four, Quattro. We're working on a full month here, folks. We did it. We're doing it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking it out. This week, my guest is Riley Breckenridge. He plays drums for a band called Thrice, and I'm just going to be upfront with you right now. This was a self-indulgent interview. I, uh, I've been a massive Thrice fan for about, I don't know, 15 years. They are, they are number one for me, and there's really not a number two. So um, uh, I really always wanted a chance to talk to Thrice and, and Riley in particular. You know, I think, you know, I, I mess around on the drums. I mess around on the baseball field, and we have that in common. So uh, I just always wanted to get a chance to talk to him. And sure enough, I reached out, and he said, sure thing. And I didn't even have to give him the hard sell because I actually I didn't know if I had the right email address, so I didn't, I didn't go overboard with the request. But maybe that worked out. So it was cool of him to say yes. Um, and I know that if you're listening right now, you may not be familiar with Thrice. You may be familiar with Thrice, but you also may not be. So I tried to spread the topics around and not focus solely on the band. But we did obviously talk about the band. They're on the road now. They're opening for the Deftones and Rise Against. So I asked them about you know, the thought process for a band that goes into opening instead of headlining on a tour. Because um, they've headlined more often than, than not, for sure, over the past 15 years. And I also wanted to talk to him about the transformation that that band went through in 2005 because it was really something special. So we'll get into that later. Um, but I did talk to him just more generally about some of the changes in the music industry, you know, what it's like to release a new record now in the age of streaming, where it's not so much, not, not as many people purchasing your record because they're paying 10 bucks a month to Spotify and things like that. And I also wanted to ask him, this is something maybe is developing as a habit, but I I asked him how he responds to criticism on Twitter and things like that. When when you spend, you know, they they, they went on a four-year hiatus, they came back, they released new music, and you you share a song with the world and someone on Twitter just says, eh, this sucks. And then you're just like, oh, okay. So I wanted to know what what it was like from his perspective there. And we also got in a sports discussion. Um, He actually thrice played in Boston during Game 7 of the Celtics and Lakers finals back in 2010 and uh he wore a, a kobe bryant jersey on stage that night it was uh, a unique choice given the given the crowd but we talked about that what it was like for him uh he grew up an angels fan so we talked about how badly the angels have fallen out of relevant relevance and why and then we had a real heart to heart about the importance of men's league baseball so that's 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 probably the most important takeaway from this whole interview but yeah i'll, I'll stop setting it up why not just let's get to it riley breckenridge from thrice All right, joining me now via phone from Brooklyn is the drummer from Thrice, the greatest American rock band ever formed, in my opinion. So, Riley, thanks for uh, taking the time to, to join me on the podcast. Oh, man, thanks for having me. How is tour going? Because I'm sure, you know, when, when every teenage kid picks up an instrument, they dream of going on tour like Guns N' Roses or something. But I imagine in, in year 17 or whatever, it's not quite as glamorous as it used to be. Uh, I mean... To answer the first part of your question, tour's going great. We're still, I mean, we're only three shows deep into this thing, so we're still trying to, like, settle into a groove and find our tour legs again because we've just we've just been doing one-offs, like, fly dates um, over the last couple months, I guess. Um, but being away from home for an extended period of time, you, you have to go from dad mode to, uh, to tour mode and... Um, adjusting to having free time and um, I don't know, adjusting to being away from your family can get really tough um, but we're really stoked to be on this tour 
Uh, the first three shows have been amazing. It's just uh, it's going to be a fun summer. And obviously, there's the there's obviously the the you know the heartache of being away from your wife and your kids. But sleep wise, uh, are you sleeping better or worse now that you're uh, living the the road life? Uh, <laughs> um, I would like to say that I'm sleeping better, but um, part of getting those tour legs back is kind of adjusting to uh, to sleeping in a bus again, a moving bus. Uh, <laughs> and then I think like I wake up every. My daughter's, uh, she just turned eight weeks today, so two months. Um, Congrats. But I, thank you. But I think I'm like still on that, like, oh, the baby's going to wake up every two, two and a half hours to feed cycle anyway. Yeah. So, like, since we've been out on the road, I've been sleeping like crap, like, just, you know, just like I would at home. That happened to me. I, I had a road trip to the Super Bowl. Uh, my daughter was like, a month or something and i woke up three times every night so it's unavoidable but you, you talked about yeah. sort of getting your tour legs and i'm wondering is that why you decided uh to go on this tour where it's a deftones and rise against as a co-headlining tour to sort of get those touring legs back in is that was that a main driver to to you guys making that decision as a band um not not really i mean um saying no to a deftones and rise again tour would be stupid i think so um as soon as they offered it to us we kind of jumped at the opportunity um and then at this point in our record cycle like we've already done two three week headline tours we've done a bunch of festival shows uh we've been to europe i think europe and the uk like twice um at this stage in the record cycle with the record being out for like a year already it kind of makes sense to do a support slot right? Um, in, instead of doing something like a headliner. So we were looking for something, and this ended up being perfect. Um, and we haven't really been in this position uh, in a while uh, because of the hiatus. And then uh, we're doing a lot of headlining stuff when we came back. So it's awesome. I mean, we don't have to worry about playing last every night. Yeah. Um, it's also a challenge in, in a lot of respects because, uh, you know, peop most people are at these shows to see Deftones and Rise Against. So right. This, like, you're not playing to friendly faces all the time, and it's kind of exciting, and if you let it get to you, it can be like a bum-out sometimes because some, sometimes the people that are up on the front row uh, of the barricade or whatever are waiting for you to get the hell off stage right. so to see Deftones and Rise Against. So... But it's cool to, you know, know that every single night we got to go out there. We got to make the people who paid good money to come see us play a short set. We need to make them happy, and we need to win over some new fans at the same time. Well, and that that sort of leads into another question I want to ask you: Where you guys have, I mean, you sort of aren't definable by a genre. I don't think you've ever been able to be defined by one genre. So it's you have some of the more aggressive ass-kicking type songs ever written and then you have some just some of the most beautiful sounding songs ever written so when you only have that eight song window to to play for people that aren't entirely familiar with your catalog how do you pare that down to eight songs ah uh, man it's really really tough it's really tough um, i mean it's tough for any tour but especially with only eight songs to play um Obviously, you want to showcase the new record. Uh, sorry about that. Oh, New York City. New York, New York City, yeah. 
Um, obviously, you want to showcase the new record, so you got to include a handful of songs from that. Um, you definitely want to play a few tried and true fan favorites from an album like Artists in the Ambulance. And then you try to kind of fill the holes with maybe a couple songs from Visu and maybe a song from the Fire EP or it's tough. And I, I think we're still trying to figure it out. We kind of like made a set list that we wanted to settle into. and But every night we kind of evaluate how stuff's going over and talk about how we can switch it up to make it go over a little bit better. So. And to that end, you guys managed to fit in the uh, the headlining show this week in New Haven. Um, what, what I mean, this seems like a crazy week. You guys, you're coming from Toronto, you're going to Long Island, then down to Maryland, I think, and then back to Connecticut and Boston. So, how uh, yeah. how how has preparation for that been? And is that a kind of an ambitious an ambitious week for you guys? Uh, I think so. One of the good things about this tour is that. I don't think there are any more than three shows in a row without us getting a day off. Um, I think that might change with the with the Connecticut headliner, but um, it's early in the tour. It's too early to say that you're tired. We're only playing for 40, 35, 40 minutes a night, so um, we're all energized and having a having a good time. And I mean, back in the old days, we used to do like fifteen shows in a row, or sixteen <laughs> shows in a row, so. Yes, we're a lot older now, but um, I think we can handle just about anything at this point. Do you get off the stage now after that 45-minute set just sort of buzzing, like you got 40 minutes left in you to, to, to rock? Oh, absolutely. Like, it's crazy, because like I said, we've been playing headline sets, a majority of our sets, like maybe aside from those festivals that we did. So, like, you get, get through the first block of songs in a set list, I look down and I'm like, oh my god, we only have two more songs to play? Like, I'm just getting loose. <laughs> it's like a warm-up. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like, the first <laughs> night of this tour, we played the set and we all came off and we're like, that's, that's all? That's it? We're done? <laughs> yeah. Uh, are, you guys, are you guys putting that energy to writing more on the road than you might normally? Absolutely, yeah. Everybody's been working on stuff individually. Uh, we've been talking about ideas that we've been sharing. And that's something we talked about before we left for this tour. It's like, not a headliner. We're not really getting sound checks every day. We're only playing for 35 to 40 minutes. There's a lot of downtime. So we need to make sure that uh, while we're all in the same place at the same time, we need to take advantage of that time and, and spend it doing things that are productive for the band. And on the to- on the topic of new music, I wanted to ask you this because I feel like when you guys went on hiatus, streaming services like Spotify hadn't really exploded. I looked it up. Uh, in 2012, they had 5 million paid users, and when you came back last year, they had 40 million paid users. So, I mean, for me as a Thrice fan, that was the first record that I didn't physically buy. I bought it on iTunes, and then I listened to it a million times on Spotify, but I never physically owned it. And as a fan, I hate that. Like, I hate not having the physical record and, and, and ha- having that whole release date and going to the store and things like that. So, um, from your perspective, and I know you have a record coming out this summer with Less Art, and I'm sure next year you'll have a new Thrice record. What is what is the perspective from, from, your, from your side of things? Do you think it's better or worse now when it comes to releasing a new record? Uh, it's, I think it's a little bit of both. 
because obviously people are not selling records the way they used to. And although that's, I guess it depends on how your record deal is set up. But for most people, it's not a huge source of income, but it was a source of income. Right. So uh, not getting paid for your records is a little tough. Um, not selling records is a little tough. Adjusting to like, what is a successful record in 2003 versus what is a successful record in 2017 is weird. Um, but on the plus side, like I feel like we've got we've our music has hit the ears of so many more people than it used to, just because it's so easy to find music on Spotify or Apple Music. Like, I mean, I do it every. Spotify puts out a, a like a Discover weekly playlist every Monday, and then Apple Music does it on Fridays. And I've I've found so many cool bands that I I wouldn't have found, you know, if it's yeah. pre two thousand twelve. That I think it's awesome. Um, I wish there was a way to make streaming a little bit more profitable for artists, but um, I think. There's a way to get it there. I'm not the one to come up with that, uh, but I'm sure somebody smarter than me can can figure it out. I don't um, think that person's been born yet, but y- yeah, <laughs> twenty thirty years down the line. I'll keep my fingers crossed that we're still a band by then. On a on a similar note, I remember uh, when you released Black Honey last year. And it's sort of similar to the to the new era of music release. It's like you guys were gone for four years. Here's this single. So much went into it, and I remember you you tweeted something like, "Hey, I'm getting a lot of questions asking why the drums aren't particularly complex or something." And it's like you had tweeted it out, and within a minute, people are like criticizing and commenting. Is that something that yeah. that you had to adjust to, where it's like this is, you know, it's it's art and it's being judged. Uh, it's sort of like when people just read the headline and react. It's being judged within thirty, forty-five seconds. Is that something you had to sort of just say, you know, what I'm not, I'm not going to read that right now. Yeah, I mean, in the old days, like I used to check the thrice message board and like try to keep up with, I guess, Facebook messages, even though that's not that old. Um, but you know, through all the, the positive things that you can gain and, like, I guess in a way, like, ego-boosting comments, there are always going to be negative comments. And for whatever reason, the negative comments sting a lot more. Even if, like, it's hard to... For me, it's hard to balance, like, oh, like, 20 people said this song is awesome and then this one guy said that it's trash. Yeah, it always like, stands out. Tra- yeah, yeah the, the trash comment would sit with me more than the 20 positives. Maybe that's because I'm weird and pessimistic or whatever. But um, I think it's natural. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I've, as I've gotten older and kind of learned how to deal with that stuff, I, I really don't check that stuff as often as I used to. Um, and then, you know, if I do read negative stuff, if it's something that I can, like, clarify myself, I love to give feedback, but if it's something that's just like looks like trolling, I'm not going to feed the trolls. Right. And uh, I think after this election cycle and everything, and all these, I don't know, just kind of developments in social media where like trolling has become like a hobby for a lot of people. I think it's a full time uh, job for some people. Seriously. And uh, I just have to read those negative comments as like, well, this is like what this guy does. He's just looking, he's poking people, trying to get attention or, you know, 
uh, trying to get a response. So the best thing you can do in that scenario is to just ignore it. Um, right. So yeah, that, that was a long answer to probably a, a short answer question. So No, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of selfish for me to ask because in sports media, if you say one bad thing about Team X, you're going to hear it from 3,000 people that just can't stand to hear whatever you just said. So uh, I figured... It's similar but different, so I, w- I was curious. Yeah. Um, but I, there, there's one burning question that I've always wanted to ask you because I feel like you guys, when well, I'm sure in the in the wake of the success of the artist in the ambulance way back when, there's probably a lot of pressure from the record label and the A and R people to sort of, you know, give you haircuts and dress you up like Ken dolls and, and make you into what they wanted you to be. And, and it seems like what, when you came out with Vizu, it was just such a such a change from everything that had happened. I remember the first time I listened to it, someone asked me if I liked it, and I was like, I don't know, man. I have to listen to every single track one by one. So now that you've had however much time, ten more than 10 years to to have that have happened, um, I'm just curious, how much confidence did you need to have as a band, individually and collectively, to do what you did creatively there? And, and how satisfying is it after the fact to see how well it, it succeeded in launching you to sort of that, that second life where everything was completely different? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we would be a band anymore if we didn't make that record. Um, wow. It was incredibly important for us to do what we wanted to do there, kind of push back against what the label wanted, because, yes, there is that, like, we want you to work with this producer, this hotshot producer, and you should probably get a haircut. And like, hey, <laughs> have you thought about maybe working out more? Like, if they like, to, like you said, they, they like to be involved in like everything. Or like, oh, here, why don't you guys go to this class, this media training class? You're not really very good at giving interviews or good on camera. And it's like, we're just not like salespeople. We're right. musicians. We're just normal guys, most of whom are pretty introverted. Um, yeah, um, and we kind of got like overwhelmed by how uh, how the whole first major label record process went. Like we were touring our asses off, like we were doing a ton of press and like super tired, and we felt like we were rushed when we were making that record. And um, this is the, the artist in the that, ambulance. Yeah, and okay. and at the end of that touring cycle, as we started talking about making Visu. It was like, ugh, like everybody was tired and kind of burnt out, and we were just like, we can't just churn out another record again, and we can't go through things this way. We need to kind of push back against the label and do our own thing and work with the producer that we want to work with and write the record for as long as we feel like it's going to take to write the record, and uh, we're going to do what we want. and. Uh, I don't think the label really knew what to do with that record, but um, in hindsight, I'm super proud of it. I've had a lot of people um, tell me how important that record has been, but maybe they didn't get it at the time, but they ended up loving it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that's a, a really, really, really important record for us. Um, and like I said, I, I, I really don't think we'd be a band if, uh, if we hadn't made that choice to do what we did well i'd say it worked out 
I, yeah. I have one more thrice question before I move on because I've heard okay. each of you individually uh, sort of say that you're not always hyper enthused to play maybe some of the older songs that, that were the fan favorites maybe in 2002. But I'm wondering, and I think that's natural, but is, is there anything on the flip side where there's an old song that sometimes gets thrown in the mix and it just gets you all jacked up to, to go out there and play? That, that, that isn't a normal part of the set, maybe? Um, trying to think. Uh, like illusion of safety stuff. Like if we were ever to pull out like where idols once stood or uh, um, to awaken avenge the dead. I know we played to awaken avenge the dead not that long ago, but yeah, it's fun to kind of revisit some of that more metal inspired stuff. But I think we've all come so we've come along as musicians and gotten better at our instruments and better at like playing with steel and dynamics and a lot of those old songs if you don't play them falls out and kind of in this really weird rigid way uh they don't really do service to the like the original recording right but i mean at this point i'm open to playing anything from our catalog but yeah you go back and and listen to some of that older stuff and it just like it sounds like it's uncomfortable to play to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then you play, and then you play it and you're like, yeah, like these parts aren't, I wouldn't write these kind of parts like right now. Um, I could write similar parts with a maybe flow better or feel better or, uh, there wouldn't be weird tempo changes <laughs> right. like in the illusion of safety. Like my internal meter has gotten a lot better. Um, over time, but um, yeah, I can't like really pick like one song that I'd be super hyped to play. But yeah, I will say that I'm not opposed to to playing anything really. Um, I, I I I know you get everyone in the band gets questions about the lyrics, and obviously that's that's Dustin's area, so I won't go there. But I do want to mention right. the lyrics of another band you've been in, which I would say is the second greatest American rock band in Puig Destroyer. Um, <laughs> truly a shooting star in the world. Um, yeah. I think you'd be better at describing it than I would, but it's fair to say it was just sort of a grindcore, hit you over the head with a bat, kind of aggressively fast, 60-second song. That is, is that is that as good of a description as, as I can give of Puig Destroyer? Yeah, it's like uh, absurdly fast, absurdly heavy, uh, kind of stupid song about <laughs> baseball. But it was... Uh, it was fun fun as hell to be a part of that project and that it kind of rose to the level that it did was insane. It's like a tribute to the internet just being a crazy place where something dumb turns into something that a lot of people pay attention to. But It was yeah. a perfect a perfect thing. I mean, just everything about it. The the song title, I think nobody cares about your fantasy team. It's just a message yeah. that needed to get out there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's all uh that's all Mike Minnick, uh, the singer. Like, I mean, we'd throw ar- around ideas for, for song titles, but I'd say like 95% of that is, is Mike. Well, it was important. I didn't really even have a question about it. I just wanted to put it out there like a PSA and say I hope that you guys are invited to play at his Cooperstown induction 20 years from now. <laughs> it would be awesome. Um, so your own baseball career, am I right to observe that you seem to be uh, on the indefinite DL with the, between having, having a second child and surgery and, and getting back on tour? I am. Um, 
yeah, I had shoulder surgery uh, to repair like little tears in my labrum and my rotator cuff um, right after Thanksgiving. So my main, I was in physical therapy for like four months and um, my main thing there was just like getting in physical shape uh, to be able to drum without pain and uh, to feel some strength in that shoulder again. And I got there. The next step would be to start throwing and start playing in the, the men's league that I play in on Sundays. But um, I don't know. I'm like, my shoulder feels great, but I'm like a little scared to throw a baseball full, full bore. Nobody should really ever throw a baseball, technically speaking. That's, that's, that is absolutely true. Um, but yeah, I would like to get back, at, back to it. But yeah, with two kids uh, in diapers and a shoulder that could probably still use a little, a few long toss sessions. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm going to be jumping back. I think I'm on the DL until at least, at least next year. Yeah. I'm in the, I'm going to be too old. Yeah. I'm in the same boat myself. Uh, my first year in 10 years, not playing two kids had back surgery. So it's, it's tough. People don't understand when you can't play men's league baseball on Sunday mornings, there's just a piece missing. Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, it bums me out. Yeah, it's, it was like it was. It was like my church, right? Or something like it. So I just go play ball, be out at the field for like four hours on a Sunday morning, perfect, and uh, it scratches the competitive itch. And um, I don't know. We're gonna get sad now if we keep going. So I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I, know, I shouldn't ask I you know. anymore about it. Um, you. Stop. You have always been an Angels fan, but I've heard you say recently you've come to sort of just become more of a general baseball fan. Um, I can relate to that in a lot of ways with just how dorky the whole Red Sox experience has become here in Boston. But I do have a question oh, yeah. about the Angels. <laughs> yeah, I do have a question about the Angels because you would know much better than 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 I would. I, I ran a Twitter poll when when Trout's injury was announced, and it was what's worse for baseball: a that that Trout is out for six to eight weeks, or b that he's on the bum ass Angels. And the bum-ass Angels got 86% of the vote. So, I mean, they haven't won a playoff game since Beggars came out. And I just, they used to be so relevant every year. And how did they fall out of relevance the way that they have? And are you as tired of looking at Mike Sosha's incredulous umpire face as I am? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, Sosha face is a... uh it's a long-standing tradition, and it's a tradition that I'm tired of. Um, as far as how the team has gotten bad, I think they've just signed some god-awful contracts yeah, and ma- made some terrible trades and completely gutted their farm system. And Albert Pujols still has, like, five years on his contract, I think. They still owe him, like, $125 million or something. Ooh. The Josh Hamilton trade was a freaking disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, they signed that trio of pitchers. I think it was Tommy Hansen, uh, Joe Blanton, and Sean Burnett, and they all came to Anaheim and were just terrible. Seems like a bad idea. Um, yeah, real bad. Um, traded away Sean Newcomb, who was like their number one pitching prospect. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating because... Uh, you hate, like I, I love watching Angels games because I love Mike Trout and he's, it's impossible not to like him. I feel like he's right. freaking amazing, but it's so frustrating to watch that team. They're either, you know, extremely middling or terrible, and I don't think it's going to get any better because they've got 
They got nothing worth trading. Like if they traded Trout, the fan base would get up in arms and right. cut. And they have no no prospects to bring up that to be excited about. Um, and that's part of the reason I started watching other teams. Like I, I'm into like prospect watching, and um, you know, I follow follow college baseball to a certain extent, and uh, get really excited about uh, the major league draft. And you know, watching these stud players develop into major leaguers, and there are just so many good young players now that it seems stupid not to pay attention to them or watch them just because they're wearing a different jersey than the jersey you grew up rooting for. You know, right? Extreme. I like extremely middling. I think that's that's yeah. gonna that's gonna be like yeah, on the uh, season ticket tagline next year. Yeah, it's also on the. Uh, Oxymoron list, I think. Yeah, I think that I think it works though. It it, it works. Yeah. And the the Trump thing, the the Trump, the uh, Trout thing, just bums me out because he was someone I would buy tickets to go sit in center field every time the Angels came through. And now it's like, I don't I don't really aspire to go see the Angels very much. Yeah, why would you watch garbage just to just to see four abs from Mike Trout? He's made it worth it on those, occasion. Yeah, as good as those abs may be. Yeah, I think he had a triple to left center where nobody's ever hit a, hit a triple I've ever seen in my life, but. Um, in any, he's, a, he's an absolute freak. Yeah, pleasure to watch. Anyway, you guys uh, have actually ended up bumping through some stadiums around the country. I know the Ducks. The Ducks are big on Under a Killing Moon. The Bruins actually, and I this is egotistical of me, but I think through my own complaining on Twitter, I think they started using Silhouette as a power play song because of me. I'm going to take credit for that. Um, oh, nice. Thank I know, you. Yeah, you know, I do what I can. You know. Um, okay. And I know Trumbo uses it as his walk-up music. Did you ever, uh, as a sports fan, you know, in the band, did you ever think that you guys would ever sort of make that 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 leap to stay? I mean, you aren't Gary Glitter or ACDC, really. So I figured right. it's a little bit uh, out of the realm of what you were going for when you made the music. Uh, it's wild. I mean, when we started this band, the goal was to play like a local show at a real venue and like <laughs> stop playing house shows or like people's parties and stuff like. Our goals have always been like very, very small steps forward. So it was never like, we're going to start a band and we're going to get signed and then we're going to get a major label and then we're going to make videos and travel all over the world and then people are going to use our songs in sports arenas. Like, it never even crossed my mind. So when it first started happening, I was just like, you get chills. It's so cool because I'm super into sports and uh, was always wondering why they played like. Mostly the the worst music, music. yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to be semi-nice. But, uh, Gillette Stadium here plays Welcome to the Jungle and Bon Jovi about 30 times every game, so it's just sort of... Yeah. What year is it again? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah I, uh, it's, it's, it's been cool. So hopefully, I was rooting for the Ducks to make it to the Cup Final just to get a little more thrice on national TV, but maybe next year. Uh, it would have been sweet. Um, and I do have one more sports question because this is sort of tied into the, the thrice Boston experience for me. You guys played in Boston the night of Game 7 between the Celtics and the Lakers in 2010. Um, yeah. 
I watched you from the balcony watching with the TV behind the bar sort of torn between looking at you guys, looking at the TV, and then the game ended and they shut all the TVs off. And Boston having really awesome bar rules didn't let anyone in. All the bars couldn't let anyone in after halftime. So it was like a scramble. I found a pizza place and watched it from the sidewalk. Um, How was it for you, uh, obviously invested in the Lakers, I take it, uh, watching, well, playing during Game 7 of the Finals and then finding a way to watch the final quarter when you were uh, wrapped up on stage? Um, I had the ESPN GameCast backstage. I brought, uh, I think I might have brought my laptop out to stage with me (laughs) and had GameCast going. If I remember correctly, I was wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey. I believe so. Yeah, I, I like to do that sometimes. Press some buttons. <laughs> well, they were there um, to see you, so there's really, you know, people could only get so mad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I watched it, or kept I kept up with it uh, while the show was going on, like between songs. I just checked the score. Um, and then as soon as the show ended, I ran up to the production office at House of Blues and watched the the end of that game on this crappy, crappy little TV. Like, I think it was like a, uh, what do they call it? The old school TVs with the antennas. Like a, like a, like a tube? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I, like, freaked out and, like, ran all over the venue. And <laughs> excited. That was a good one. It was a good year. It's a good one to remember, we being in Boston. Of, yeah, we've had a lot of Game 7s. Uh, happen on show nights. Like I think, what what year was it when the the Cardinals and the Rangers? Oh nine or oh oh nine, I think. I think so. We were in St. Louis. We were in Chicago for Game Six, which was that crazy extra inning game. That was when Nelson Cruz botched it in right field. Yes, and then Game Seven, uh, we were in. Sage, Illinois, which is basically across the river from St. Louis. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was another show where they had the game on the TVs and, like, half the people were watching the game and half the people were watching the show. It's tough. It's tough for everyone involved. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd be, I'd be watching both, too. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for your time. I know, you know, it's it's busy getting back on the road again i just i really appreciate it um it was about a year ago to this date when you know all of us people like me got to hit play on to be everywhere is to be nowhere and you know we never knew if that was coming or not so it was sort of just a great thing to hit play and just smile like a big idiot so uh, i appreciate what you guys do i appreciate that you're you're back and, and making music and i more specifically thank you for coming on right right now with me oh man i appreciate uh the conversation and appreciate the support for sure um yeah this is super fun thanks for letting me do it great and to anyone listening locally you can check them out in new haven thursday night in boston on friday night and anywhere else you know there's a whole eastern seaboard situation going on so you can go to thrice.net check it out and riley thanks again yeah my pleasure all right that is that that is the Riley Breckenridge interview. I really do want to thank him for coming on the podcast. I think I spared myself from having any Chris Farley show moments where I just, you know, say, hey, that was pretty awesome. So I think I did okay. It was different for me. I've never interviewed, I don't think I've ever interviewed a musician, really. So, you know, it was my first rock star interview. Hope hope the bumps weren't too bumpy for you, but I did find him interesting. He's, he's a thoughtful guy from a thoughtful band, and I think a lot of that perspective was cool. I think as a Thrice fan, it was interesting. I hope whether you were a Thrice fan, you were 
entertained. I hope if you weren't a Thrice fan, you might be interested in the band. And, and if you are new to Thrice or unfamiliar with Thrice, I did go, I went ahead and I made a playlist on Spotify. It's called Thrice Starter Kit. So you can give that a search, and it's sort of a quick run-through of their catalog. Well, as quick as can be when you're talking about that much music. So it's a 30-song collection, and it kind of gives you the full flavor of, of, of what they are. I put, you know, their, their radio singles and, and some of the better songs in the albums there. So pretty subjective selection. But if, you, if you're looking to get in, if you found Riley to be interesting and you want to check it out, search on Spotify right there. Thrice Starter Kit. There you go. Don't say I never gave you anything. Um, but even if you're not into it, I do appreciate you listening. Uh, you made it this far, so I appreciate that. Um, it's been it's been cool doing this podcast, and it wouldn't be that cool if nobody was listening, so thanks for that. Um, and if you feel compelled to subscribe and rate on iTunes, um, that's even better. But if not, if you want to just you know write me a strongly worded letter urging me to improve and get better technically and, and subjectively, however you want, you know, I need that. Everyone needs a push, so it's up to you what you want to do. But a review would be nice, you know, a little, little five-star feel like it um i'm also adding this one to soundcloud now so another another avenue to explore to uh get the podcast so any way you want we're working on getting it there so uh let me know if if there's anything else that this podcast can do for you because that's really what i'm here to do i'm here to to serve you so you know let me do it whatever you want so thanks again check out thrice talk to you next time